Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Final Furlong Podcast with Emmett Kennedy is proudly brought to you by All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app and get involved today. All About Sunday, we love racing. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kalugi also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. All the anticipation boils down to this. It is Derby weekend. We have been talking about the Oaks and the Derby for so long. There are anti-post betting slips that have been dashed. There's anti-post betting slips that are alive. Now is the time to find out who we're actually going to be betting on the day. We will do so in company of a winning machine. A man who was responsible for a horse who was backed from 9-2 to two into 2-1 two to one favourite and delivered the goods as the final Furlong Podcast Army got behind him. Mark Milligan from Timeform. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It's uh, very good to be here. And yeah, we had a, a, another decent weekend. It could have been even better because... Lanikash was beaten and knows oh. oh he's so close another stride and he would have got there but um, you know the, that, it's a game of variance isn't it one week those close run things will go for you the other weeks they'll go against you but I don't think we're doing too much wrong when you're getting horses beaten and knows you know that you're on the right track and Chateau got up in the last sort of 50 yards or so at Beverly, he was very, very well backed, wasn't he? The final Furlong Podcast Army were just going in. This guy knows his stuff. He delivered the goods for his last week. Let's just steam in behind Mark and uh, Chateau gets the job done. So you're taking the full credit for that one. Epsom, we're going to start with the Coronation Cup. The going is currently good to soft. Stalls will be in the centre for the Coronation Cup. And Piledriver is your 7-4 to four favourite with Kaluki. Manobo, 9-4, to four, high definition. See, we've given him his proper name and not he who shall not be named. Uh, nine to two for Ryan Moore and Aidan O'Brien. Hookham for Owen Burrows, who is actually pro form top rated. Five to one and living legend tens. Uh, may as well mention the complete right outsider of the field. Palsavino for Brian Mean and Sean Levy. Is it a case of piling into Piledriver, my man? Well, I think Piledriver is very much the one to beat. Of course, he was last year's winner. He's proven a real money spinner for connections who reportedly turned down a big bid for him last year. Mm. And arguably he should have won at Maidan last time. He got into all sorts of trouble on the inside rail there, ended up only beaten. I think he very much sets the standard in here, but I was of a mind to go with a horse who's more about potential than proven form. And that's Manobo from the all-conquering Charlie Appleby, Godolphin, William Buick team, who himself was beaten at Maidan last time. That was over two miles. And he didn't really give himself much of a chance to stay that two miles there as he pulled ferociously hard in the early stages. Prior to that, 
he'd racked up a five-timer, including wins in a group two at Longchamp and a group three at Maidan. Also worth noting that he was beaten just half a length on his debut last year by the Derby second, Mojo Star. Has a bit to find on official ratings with these, but he's a lovely big scopey type. And for me, I think I would just be with Manobo in here. Bolted up in listed company of Saint Cloud last year as well. He's a very, very intriguing horse. Um, and this is a race that Cup horses have used. I mean, it is the Coronation Cup. Look, it's it's a mile four, but Cup horses have won this race in the past and have, have run very, very well. And you would imagine that the Gold Cup will be a uh, target for him. Thanks for mentioning the Maidan race, by the way, because um, our international correspondent, along with the great and powerful Peter Fornatel, Naomi Tucker, put up Stay Foolish that day. So another winner for the Final Front Podcast. <laughs> um, we're not surprised that High Definition was the chosen one from the Aidan O'Brien team. They had a lot of horses to pick from, but we pretty much called this a few weeks ago that he would be the one who lines up. Um, on the back of that run, given the fact that you tipped the winner on the car and he was only beaten a neck. Is he intriguing to you at all? Yeah, he is. Um, he finally came to the party, didn't he, last time at the Curra Over a ten and a half furlong trip that I think is probably still a little bit inadequate for him. It took Alan Kerr to dig deep, deep into his reserves to pull in high definition, reel him in by a neck. And perhaps high definition is on the right track now. I'd still say he's, and I'm, you're probably going to agree with this as well, Emmett, he's probably still just a little bit difficult to trust, isn't he? Yeah, I would agree with that. 100%. Um, that being said, I was looking at the Timeform pace map, uh, seeing as you are from the parish of Timeform, and Manobo will definitely be be up on the front end. Um, Hookham, will be up there. Living Legend is a horse who likes to make it. I just wonder if the way this race is going to be set up of high definition, be interesting to see what Ryan decides to do with them. But I get the, I got the impression from, and, and this is just my opinion, man, uh, from Aidan O'Brien and talking to him on the podcast that they weren't disappointed with him being beaten. There wasn't an issue with him being beaten in April uh, and then finishing fourth behind Lafayette um, in the build-up to the to the Tattersalls Gold Cup because it was all about peaking him for that race and then this one. And I think that that is, is an intriguing one in terms of uh, how this race will pan out and how it will play out. And for that reason, I'm probably going to go with them. Um, I, don't, I, th- I can see them backing him on the day, and I think the 9-2 at Kaluki will, will go... Manobo is is a very intriguing horse. Pile driver with Frankie on board is obviously very intriguing, but there's just there's something about how this horse is he really exploded last time. And there was no market confidence behind him at all. He was twenties with Ryan on board. Mm. And yet he only gets beaten the neck in group one company, and the mile four would suit him an awful lot better. So high definition and Manobo reverse forecast and high definition for me, but it's definitely Manobo for you. Yeah, I think so. Um I just like the latent potential of Manobo. I don't think he's done an awful lot wrong. It's funny, though, because when, when I was going through this race earlier this morning, I kind of thought, oh, high definition. He's definitely the one to beat, isn't he, based on that current form. But Emmett will never forgive me if I tip <laughs> oh, high definition no. oh, on no. the podcast, and now you've got to put him up yourself. <laughs> on the basis of new evidence, 
I've completely changed my mind. How long has it been since we used the phrase new evidence? That always gets you out of trouble. If you're stuck, if you're if you're going back on something you said before, if you if you change your mind on something and people are like, hey, you used to say, you just go, well, you know, with the basis on the basis of new evidence or with with time to consider carefully, I now consider high definition to be a proper group one performer. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think they'll be disappointed if he doesn't win this. To be honest, um, Pile Driver is the one they have to beat. Minobo is a fascinating runner, and Buick and Appleby can do no wrong. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, I'll go high definition Minobo reverse forecast and high definition for the win. So there's number one in the patent, and you're going Minobo. Uh, as we move on to the Oaks uh, again, betting with Galuki nine to two high definition. I'd be amazed if he's that price on the day. Um, Emily Upjohn. So this was great for York that uh, their two classic trials for Epsom produced the anti-post favourites for the Oaks and Derby, and now she gets put to the test. Uh, she turned up a breakfast at the Stars. We have no idea who she galloped with, and I'm still uncomfortable with that. I still. How do you feel about that, Mark? Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating, isn't it, um, that these gallops are often a trade secret. We get to see the horses galloping. We don't know what kind of weights they carried. We don't know who they're galloping with. We don't know what kind of times they've run in those gallops. As an aficionado of American racing, American racing is much, much more transparent Yeah. when it comes to workouts. We've got workout times. Um, each individual horse is timed either from the gate or from a, a running start and there's just a lot more transparency in America. And I think this is something we could get a lot better at in this country. If a course like Epsom, and don't get me wrong, I think the breakfast with the stars um, morning is a tremendous idea, but I think it should almost be packaged as, as kind of a, a race meeting in itself in that they should tell us who these horses are, who the, who the horses are, who they're galloping with, and then just let us form our own opinion as to whether those gallops are, are worthwhile or not. I don't understand. what What's the need for the secrecy? I don't really get it. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. Uh, obviously, it's it's a different landscape, and it goes back historically in that trainers are training on private land, whereas in America and Hong Kong, they're training on the track. And there's only so many spots in Hong Kong for you to do that. There's only so many spots with tracks in Australia for you to do it. But that then means that in in the US, Hong Kong, America, you can go and look at track work. And you and I have spoken about American racing off air. Um, and, and that is a, a massive advantage for betters of, of that sport. The fact remains, though, that um, if you're going to bring a horse to breakfast with the stars and gallop that horse, you don't have to tell us how much weight she's carrying or how much weight the opponent is carrying but you can at least tell us who the opponent is who is she galloping alongside and to just go no we're not telling you so has she worked with the second best horse in the yard the best horse in the yard or the worst horse in the yard who has she worked with why why this cloak and dagger stuff like Willie Mullins Gordon Elliott they t- Henry de Bromhead when they're doing their, their race course gallops before Cheltenham they'll tell you who the horses are Aidan O'Brien will tell you who the horses are at the Curra when they gallop on day one after racing. He'll say, oh yeah, this is 
lot one will be X, Y, Z. Now, they're not obliged to tell us how much weight has been carried, but at least we get to know. So to just blankly look at you and go, no, we're not telling you. And then, and Maddie talked about this with me on TalkSport 2 on, on Friday. You then have a picture in the Racing Post where it's Emily Upjohn with anonymous stablemates. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well at all. Uh, anyway, there we, there's our hot take for on podcast. Oh, just, just come out and say it. Uh, Frankie's obviously going to be on board. Uh, Nashua, there was a suggestion she would go to France. No, no. Uh, obviously that race was won by Above the Curve on Sunday and uh, Holly Doyle will get her opportunity to win uh, a classic, which is fantastic. And I think her claims are very strong. Uh, so Kaluki go five to four, but Emily Upjohn, four to one for John and Teddy Gosden uh, with Nashua. So he very much has this by the short and curlies. Then it's Aidan O'Brien who has Tuesday with Ryan Moore on board, nine to two coming out of stall one. Yay, yay, yay. Um, we'll get the, we'll get time forms, Mark Milligan to break down the draw bias for us in a second uh, or, is there uh, concert hall? There is uh, concert hall nine to one with Kaluki, Shami Heffernan on board with the moonlight for Charlie Appleby and William Buick is tens. Joseph Bryanson's over Tranquil Lady in familiar colors for 12, 12 to one with Tom Marquand on board. Then there's thoughts of June, uh, the Chester Oaks winner uh, with Wayne Lorden on board. Could be a big weekend for Wayne Lorden. 14s and uh, Lucy Russell Hughes pick uh, trained by Tom Clover with Jack Mitchell in the saddle. Rogue Millennial, Millennium, even my goodness. <laughs> these millennials man um, a cast off from Shadwell 20s with Kaluki right now available for the Kazoo Oaks the importance of the draw take us through that Mark yeah I think people will look at a race like the Oaks which is run over a mile and a half and think well surely Surely the draw over a mile and a half at a big, wide, expansive track like Epsom is not that important. But tradition has told us that you really, and we'll touch on one horse in particular in a moment, tradition has told us that you don't really want to be drawn too high. Um, Prior to last year, the last, and I'm just counting them up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The last eight winners had been drawn in single figures. Now, we're going to touch on last year because Snowfall was very much the exception. She was drawn in 12. But I, I don't think, it w- it wouldn't have mattered, would it, where Snowfall was drawn because she was so much better than her opposition on the day. What, did she win by a million lengths or something? I, I think the official <laughs> winning distance now, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I believe the official winning distance was 100,000 lengths. <laughs> so she was she was so much better than the rest on the day. But I, I think, and we look back... She could look, have come out of stall one. Yeah, she just exactly. did one. Oh. We, we, we look at um, the, the previous winners and we'd say you, you don't really want to be drawn in a, an extreme. I think stall one can be tricky. Mm. I think stall... Why is stall one... I mean, they call it the coffin box, even at yeah. Epsom. But why? Epsom is what we call a switchback track, which means not only do they go um, left-handed, they also go right-handed. And that first right-handed turn comes up around a furlong, a furlong and a half after the start. If you're in one... 
you can suddenly be chopped off at that turn unless you've got a nice position. Um, and it, it can just it can just prove very tricky for one and two. And I think is there not a stat in the derby to say a horse has never won from stall two in the derby? I think so. Um, Didn't that one one was one is tricky, but I think I don't think there's ever been a derby winner in stall two. Um, I I stand to be corrected on that. But those inside draws can just make it very very tricky when horses are, are turning quickly. After the start, I think an ideal pitch is probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. You want to be too low. Don't think you want to be too high. The weird thing um, is, a day are one from stall one, but for some reason, there's something about two. And uh, I think, yeah. oh, if memory can serve, serve me correctly, Saxon Warrior came out of, he came out of stall one and uh, and was beaten. Now, he probably didn't really perform on the day, to be fair. Um, but it's it's an example of, you go into. I, I think it's always interesting to look at at what the market was like, uh, and I do this for Cheltenham for Royal Ascot. I'll, I'll watch the races back from the year before, and I'll look at the betting market as well, because you can just see what the betting, the hive betting mind was, and you want to stay away from the hive mind. Uh, you don't want to be a, a sheep. You want to forge your own path. But you'll see horses who were so well backed and were talked about in the media as though, oh, this horse is this horse can't be beaten. And then suddenly that horse is beaten, and you're breaking down why. Um, and if you just look back at, at horses who were turned over in this race in the past and look at the betting market, we had an odds on winner, obviously with Minding. Love was a short price favorite in 2020. Uh, Minding was 10 to 11. They're the only two favorites to have won in the last 10 years. Uh, you you often have horses who come in here with massive reputations who get turned over. Same thing applies to the Derby, and look at the stalls as well. Qualify won the Oaks from two, but there's something about the Derby and stall two that that's very very odd. It I mean, would it would it be a case? Do you think that the Derby generally attracts a bigger field? Probably. And so generally, there's more scrimmaging for those early positions and people. Uh, jockeys keen to get a good early pitch and um I, there's probably the, there wouldn't be anything intrinsically different about being drawn in stall one or stall two neither of them like you said they are one from from one last year but neither of those two stalls has a good record in the race and i think that's to do a lot with the the jockeys on the outside wanting to try and get a good early position and if you've got a horse drawn on the inside one and two who doesn't have a lot of tactical speed you can find yourself in a very poor position very early on yeah that's a that's a good shout as well uh all right take us through who you think is the most likely winner and who's the best bet in the race i think the most likely winner is emily upjohn um i'm not sort of telling anyone anything they don't really know there and I put her up on my Twitter feed at 10 to 1 straight after she'd won that uh, Sandown race in nice. April. Um, but I'm not going to start tipping her now at around about even money because betting's all around, it's all about betting horses at odds that are greater than their, their chance of winning the race. Do I think Emily Upjohn is an even money of 5 to 4 shot? To win this race absolutely not her form isn't that far in advance of the rest of these to make her a, a bettable proposition at that sort of price i think her 
her form in general has been more about style than substance so far. She won the Musidora very impressively. She won that Sandown race very impressively. But she's not run to a level that suggests she's going to absolutely blow the doors off this race. So there's got to be plenty of value behind her in the market. Mm. Uh, and given the rivals in the market, including her stable companion, Nashua, who is then the one that is really standing out to you as the most ideal bet in the race? I was keen on, and we're going to hark back to Charlie Appleby and, and William Buick here. I was keen on With the Moonlight, who, interestingly, on the dam side of her pedigree, has quite a speedy pedigree. Um, she wouldn't be the sort of horse you would look at, certainly on the distaff side of her pedigree, and say, oh, this filly is crying out for a mile and a half. But she took her form to a new level when stepped up from a mile to a mile and a quarter last time in the, in the listed company at Newmarket, beating Mashaha by nearly five lengths. And I think she's very much taking after her, her dad here because we know, although Frankel himself and Frankel's a horse that plenty of people have talked about in the past, was he was never tried beyond 10 furlongs. He's imparting a lot of stamina into his progeny. And that obviously hails from his daddy, Galileo. Mm. And the, the Frankel side of the pedigree tends to supersede everything in these better class horses. And I think with Frankel on her side with the moonlight, I think she'll see out this extra two furlongs at Epsom, despite what the other side of her pedigree is saying. In fact, I think she may even improve for an extra two furlongs. Yeah. I wonder if she's going to be ridden positively then as well, because stamina isn't going to be an issue for her. And it seems as though they think an awful lot of her. Um, so you ride the race you're not going to ride in, in, in an Oaks to just place. Uh, you will with, with certain horses because you just be like, oh, it'd be great to get a classic black type. But with a horse like her, you're only going to get one shot at this. And that's going to be the, the viewpoint from the Gosden team, the O'Brien team, uh, and, and from Charlie Appleby as well. So tactically, I wonder what Buick does from, from eight. I'm fascinated by her. She's very high on my shortlist. I, I decided that I would have a shortlist of three um, and I'll tell you exactly what the shortlist is. It's With the Moonlight, Nashua, and Thoughts of June. That's the shortlist. And I decided I would, I would on the show, come down on who to back um, on the basis of what you said, because we don't talk beforehand. We just say, here's what we'll discuss uh, in terms of races, but I don't get selections from you beforehand. I don't want that. I want to learn with the audience what's, what's happening with our, our loyal listeners. So I'm, I'm delighted that you're putting up with the moonlight or that you're talking about it so positively. But I wonder tactically how you feel the race will be run and, and how you think uh, Buick will try, and, will try and approach this. I think it's interesting because her two best races in her career so far have been when she's been ridden quite positively. Um, she sat just off the pace at Wolverhampton last September they then reverted more to hold-up tactics at Newmarket for her next start, and, and she she finished third. In, in terms of actual numbers, she ran 
slightly better than she had done at Wolverhampton, but was still, for me, a little bit disappointing on the day. They then reverted at Newmarket this spring to to more positive tactics. She was ridden again, just she just tracked the pace. She travelled like the wrath of God that day. She really did travel. But then she picked up as well in really good style. And for me, she's just got the profile of a filly who's better ridden positively. And I want to see William Buick make plenty of use of her here. What I don't want them to do as connections is start looking on the damn side of a pedigree and saying, oh, well, actually, the, the pedigree is suggesting she might be a doubtful stayer. Ride her as if you know she's going to get the trip. Ride her as though you absolutely know that that Frankel influence is going to be there because I think she's much, much better with a positive ride. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. Um, I, I, thoughts of June, I imagine, will be up at the pace given how she ran at Chester. Uh, she'll handle the bends and the undulations of Epsom, so which has to go down as a massive positive for her, by the way. Um, and Tuesday has to come out of stall one. Uh, Nashua, I think, is, is fascinating. I'm slightly... She has the, the Frankel element as well. I'm slightly concerned more about her pedigree, whether she'd stay, and I actually did think France would be the, the bigger thing for her, but I I do feel as though she's, she has an awful lot of class. And I actually prefer her to Emily Upjohn. Um, seriously, I, I'm quite keen on Nashua. Uh, but with the moonlight is 10 to 1 with Kaluki. And at the end of the day, it comes down to what do you, how much is it to play? How much have I got to pay to play? And if you're getting 10 to 1 with the moonlight is a very, very attractive proposition. She was also a big raw filly last year. And she just seems to be the finished product now. She seems as though she's really grown into herself it was a fine run at Newmarket at the end of the season last year, and she just seemed to be transformed over 10 furlongs last time out. Um, I think the 12 are really suit her, and 10 to 1 with Kluke is very, very attractive. Uh, anything else? That short list of three that I mentioned, Nashua, Thoughts of June and With the Moonlight. Um, was there anything from anything else that stood out for you? Well, as you know, I was keen on, on Tuesday for the Irish 1,000 guineas, and I thought... She ran very well there. I think she's bound to go well again here. She's got the Galileo influence for her pedigree for all that she might be a bit of a doubtful stayer on the dam side, but you can never discount anything from, from Bally Doyle and Ryan Moore in a race of this magnitude. So Tuesday would be another one I would throw in there. I thought you, your comments on Nashua were interesting. Um, for me... I don't think there's any doubts whatsoever over her pedigree. I think she's got Frankel as her sire. She's a half-sister to Luganini, who won over a mile and a half. My, I tell you what my little nagging doubt would be about Nashua. Her two wins have come on good-to-firm ground, or officially good-to-firm ground, as we called it at time form. But a lot of her relatives have been... Um, decent with some ease in the ground and I just wonder on an undulating track such as Epsom if the ground does quicken up a bit whether she'd be quite quick enough to beat one or two of these but as we're talking at the moment I think you said the ground at the moment is officially good to soft but I think that the forecast is dried up I don't think we're going to be on fast ground by any stretch of the imagination I just wonder why 
John Gosden in particular was mentioning the Irish Oaks prior to this. And and it's almost like they're, they're coming here as, as something of an afterthought, do you not think? Mm, that's a, that is a very interesting point. Um, now, they're not in the same ownership and Holly Doyle will be out all guns blazing to try and, and win this, obviously. Um, of course, the second favourite, of course they will, but it, it was intriguing that he was saying that. Um, my, 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 sorry, my reading of the situation is this, and I could be a million miles away here. My reading of the situation is that from Jordan Gosden's perspective, he knows that Nashua is not good enough to beat Emily Upjohn, so he wanted to go to France to maximise his chances of winning both races. But of course, I could be miles off there. Yeah, you could be spot on. Um, I thought it was intriguing that he was talking about the Irish Oaks because surely that's the next destination then for Emily Upjohn, or do you think she's so good that you're already thinking about the King George with her? Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you would think that the, the logical next step, should Emily Upjohn win the Oaks, would be the Irish Oaks. But, of course, we saw... Um, was it Tagruda who went on to, yeah. to the King George after yeah. after winning the Oaks for for this stable? So that they could be looking. Didn't they supplement enable long term? Didn't, they, didn't they, they throw her in at the last minute, and she <sighs> she bolted up then as well? Did she go to the Curra first of all, and then turned out for the King George and bolted? I think she did. Um, willing to be corrected on that one on on Twitter, but it's I I'm more keen to take on Emily Upjohn. Um, don't know. I can't give you a definitive reason as to why. It's probably the price. Um, but I am keen to take her on. Nashua, I, I really like. Um, very keen on with the moonlight and thoughts of June. Uh, Tuesday only officially turns three. Well, officially she, she turned three on January first, but really she only turns three day of race. She was foaled in twenty nineteen on the third of June. So what she's been doing is really quite impressive. Uh, but she's got to catch up with the others physically. She's not there yet, and Lucy broke that down for us quite well uh, on the show on Monday, um, given the fact that she's worked with racehorses for most of her life and ridden out at, at um, Richard Fahey's. But, yeah, I think we're both on, on the same page with the Moonlight. She's a cracking uh, cracking price at 10 to 1 with Kaluki. Um, I mean... Not to give too much away, I'm not going to give the ratings, but Proform's forecast price for the race is 11 to 2 with the Moonlight. Uh, I'm not saying that's the price she's going to go off, but she's she's a big she's a big price here. She represents serious value in the race, and she's got the mix of speed and stamina. I think there might be the Frankel pivotal element is is intriguing. That made me think there was more speed there. It's intriguing to hear you counter that and think you have no concerns about stamina. That's that's good to hear. Um, and, and I think Thoughts of June has been underrated in the market. So with the Moonlight, Thoughts of June, Nashua, TriCast, Combination Forecast, with the Moonlight, the win bet for both of us. Um, and uh, come on, Kaluki Pay is an absolute fortune for that one. We'd, we'd quite like that. That would be a, a pleasing result if we were to come off. Um, right, we'll move on to Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. 
Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The 2.35, we debated whether or not to include the 2 o'clock and went, no. The 2.35 is the Princess Elizabeth Stakes, sponsored by Kazoo, Group 3. Kaluki are going 6-4 to about the William Haggis, who remains in red-hot form. When Mark made his debut on the podcast... William Haggis was in red-hot form. It doesn't tend to keep going four weeks later, yet he's still at a 79% runners-to-form percentage, courtesy of the Racing Post. Uh, Beshrakova. Let's go with that, shall we? Uh, Tom Marquand on board, 6-4 to four with Galuki. Uh, Barpova for Sir Michael Stout and Ryan Moore is currently 3-1. to one. Tom Ward and Richard Kingscote team up with Roman Mist, fives, and Mrs. Fitzherbert. For Huey Morrison and George Rook, six to one. How do you see this race going? Yeah, I thought this was interesting because the final horse you mentioned there, Mrs. Fitzherbert, at six to one, she beat Bashkarova last time at Goodwood, and she beat her on merit for me. Now I'm going to ask you a question here, Emmett. Oh, if Mrs. Fitzherbert was trained by William Haggis and Bashkarova was trained by Huey Morrison, the prices would be the other way around, wouldn't they? A hundred percent. And I think we're getting cracking value here about Mrs. Fitzherbert simply because she's trained by an unfashionable name. As good a, a trainer as Huey Morrison is, and he is a really good trainer, he generally plies his trade at lower levels than this, doesn't he? And I think that's been taken account of in the betting rather than just looking at the horse itself and the talent and this Kingman filly, she looks a really talented filly and she came through and I thought she beat Bashkarova on merit at Goodwood last time. And for me, I'd have a, at least the same price as Bashkarova, if not ahead of her in the betting. Six to one, given the fact that they're both carrying, uh, Miss, Mrs. Fitzherbert, by the way, is rated at 105. Bashkarova is rated 104. So the handicapper agrees with you. And at time form, we've got them exactly that way around as well. We've got Mrs. Fitzherbert a pound ahead of Bashkarova. Let's take the sixes. Thank you very much, Kaluki, with Mrs. Fitzherbert. Uh, the 310 at Epsom is the Kazoo Diamond Stakes. Group three, we've got a short price favourite for the Godolphin team. Um, William Buick and Charlie Appleby teaming up again with Modern News, 8 to 11. And um, is this just a case of rocks up, good night, good luck, bye-bye, or are you keen on something elsewhere, my friend? Yeah, I thought um, 
that was a weak race that that Modern News won last time at Windsor. I think it was just a case of he had to turn up and 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 do the business there, and he did. He won a, a Newbury handicap before that, which was probably, in terms of competitiveness, much more competitive than the Windsor race that he won. For me, here, Muta Sabek has achieved much more in form terms, and he should have won this the Sandown Mile last time. He was he was chopped for room at the crucial stage, was only beaten a neck. Um, he should have won that race. I think if he had won that race, he'd probably be coming into this as favourite. I'm treating him as though he was the winner that day, and I think he'll beat Modern News. That's the kind of confidence we like to hear on the final Furlong podcast, 11-4 at Mutasabek, uh, with Jim Crowley on board for Charlie Hills. We're one race away from the Derby, but let's take in the dash, first of all, the Simpex Express Dash Handicap. So Kaluki are going 5-1 to one about the Adam West trend, Live the Dream. Then Fine Wine, 11-2. to two. Uh, Dusky Lord, 15-2. to two. And Tess Spirit, 9-1. to one. By the way, have a look out for Kaluki. They've got really prominent pitches at Epsom all week. So plenty of opportunities to get stuck in with the lads. Head on up to them. Ask them, what'll you do me on this race? If they say politely... The prices are there. They will, they'll accommodate you. They'll look after you. And um, really, really prominent pitches all week at Epsom uh, for the, the two days. So make sure you go over and say hello to Kaluki. They will lay you a fair bet. All right. The dash, my friend. Um, unpick this puzzle for us. Oh, this is trappy, isn't it? Whoa, 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 whoa. 20. 20 speedsters 20, flying down the 20. Epsom Canver. 20 runners on what is officially the fastest five furlong track in the world. I should make an update, by the way. And and this is in the the world. I like that voiceover, that Obi-Wan Kenobi style voiceover. Uh, The going has been updated to good. Don't water Epsom. Don't do it. Don't. There's been enough tracks cancelled. Just go with it. So uh, official going is now good as we're recording. So uh, and it's and also uh, Kluki have gone six to one each of two. Fine wine, live the dream. It's now eight to one, Dusky Lord. So they've updated the prices for me. Thank you very much, team. Um, right. What do you like? I'm going right down the bottom of the handicap here. And a horse who's in absolutely cracking form goes by the name of T Spirit. Trained by Adrian Nichols. Now, his dad knew a thing or two oh, about wow. training sprinters, didn't Legend. he? Legend. Legend. Um, and T Spirit, he's just come back a new horse this season. He absolutely bolted up in a handicap at Beverly in April. He then followed up at Nottingham last time. He's been bumped up another six pounds for that. But this is a horse who, when, for me, when sprinters get on a roll, when they're in form, I think you just need to stick with them because it can be, it can be an absolute minefield trying to predict horses that may have been in good form at one point, trying to predict when they're going to come back to form. Just stick with the horses in form. And T-Spirit, he's drawn 10 right in the middle, which will give his rider options. Now, that's that's interesting because, you know, having gone through the draw from this race, there's been a fair spread, actually, from low to high. So that there doesn't seem an intrinsic draw bias here. I think... He'll have Barry McHugh will have good options from stall 10 to have a look left, right, see what's happening. He's a horse who's quite uncomplicated. 
He'll be ridden quite forwardly. And he's just, for me, he's a horse going forward where a lot of these have probably seen better days, to be honest. Whereas he's a relatively lightly raced four-year-old who's on the upgrade and crucially comes here in bang-up form. I love, again, the confidence and uh, off a mark of 83, Barry McHugh on board. 10 to 1, T-Spirit. That'll tee us up nicely and have us all in good form as we head to the Derby. 17 runners. The Kazoo Derby in memory of the late, great Lester Piggott. What a beautiful touch that is from everybody at Epsom and the BHA. Well done. Well done. That is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, the current betting with Kaluki, as it's now updated in front of me, 7-4, to four, no more, pushed out. Uh, Desert Crown is 15-8 to eight with Kaluki. Stone Age has been pushed out as well uh, by Kaluki. 9-2 to two now. Changing of the guard has come in. So Ryan Moore confirmed for Stone Age, not telling us anything we didn't already know. Aidan O'Brien pretty much said it after he won the old Darrenstown Stud Derby trial, but the Derby trial at Leopardstown, that um, it would be difficult for Ryan not to be on board. Well, Ryan chooses on the Thursday and has decided it is indeed going to be Stone Age who he rides. Changing of the guard gets cheek pieces for the first time, comes out of stall 16 and Wayne Lorden will be on board but has been backed with Kaluki today and is now into 6-1. to one. Uh, Nation's Pride usurps Frankie and Donico O'Brien's Pisbedil as 13-2, to two, um, with Pisbedil now a 7th shot. Star of India is well supported with Jamie Heffern and Aidan O'Brien, uh, 18s into 14s with Kaluki, and then it's Walk of Stars, who Charlie Appleby was quite complimentary of, uh, 14s for James Doyle. That's the betting with Kaluki. What, though, are the thoughts of Mark Milligan? I was going to say... Who's the most likely winner? Um, look, there's, there were two horses at the top of the, the betting. Stone Age was a much shorter price. They they weren't exactly... It wasn't 9 to 4, 15 to 8, but he was shorter. He was 3s, 5 to 2. He's now 9 to 2, which I think is intriguing. Um, Desert Crown has eased out to 15 to 8. So these were the two horses that everybody was, was leaning on. What do you make of... The market leaders, first of all, Mark. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that we're on the same page here, Emmett, oh. because that nine to two Stone Age is surely verging on getting too big now, mm. isn't it? Mm. I like this horse's profile. I like the fact that he's had so much racing coming into the rough and tumble of a 17-runner derby where your favourite, your 15-to-8 favourite, has only had two runs in his life in an 11-runner field and an 8-runner field. Desert Crown could just find this all a shock to the system, whereas Stone Age, he's been around the rough and tumble of a big field at Navan when he bolted up by nine lengths. There were 14 runners that day. He bolted up at Leopardstown, Last time, he's got the track craft. He's got the know-how. For me, and there's not there's not a great deal between them on form either. I think Desert Desert Crown's Dante form probably just shades what Stone Age did last time, but it was under much, much different conditions. An eight-runner field over 10 and a half furlongs around York is completely different to the 17-runner hustle and bustle Desert Crown's going to face at Epsom on Saturday. The word was out the day he came back as a as a three year old, 
But it wasn't about him. It was about a horse called Wexford Native for Jim Bulger. And that horse ended up winning the last race of the day. I think it was the last race of the day. Yeah, it was. The 540. Um, he won by two and a quarter lengths, two and a half lengths from Sun King. And he was making his debut. And the Bulger team were just, you know, Jim's not going to appreciate this now being said. But uh, the whole town knew. Like the whole town was on Wexford Native. And there's a boil sports here and it got cleaned out. Absolutely cleaned out. Oh, sorry, Boyle Sports. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they, got, they got wiped out that day. That horse has since gone on to finish just three lengths behind Native Trail. So uh, I remain convinced that Wexford Native is a proper Group 1 performer. The reason I, I was so focused on that day is Stone Age won the 4.35. And I was kind of like, eh, whatever. And I knew that I was doing an interview with Aidan O'Brien soon. But there were quotes afterwards about, yeah, he could go for the Derby. He could be one for the Derby. And it sort of was put out there and wasn't jumped on. Like, Aidan O'Brien just came straight out and said, yeah, we're going to go for a Derby trial next. And it was almost ignored. And he rocks up to Leopardstown, and it's Aidan starts winning all of the Derby trials. And then people start coming onto him. And he started to being clipped in. And the second he bolts up uh, at Leopardstown, everybody just goes defensive and he becomes favoured for the Derby instantly. And at that, that period of time, Luxembourg had been... Oh, God, Luxembourg. How, how bad is this, by the way? Going through your anti-post bet history, see open bets, and there it is. Luxembourg, 20s for the Derby. Just sitting there, smacking you in the face, just reminding you, yeah, you've done your conquers on that one, son. Um... But because he then came out, the the market just became so distorted. No one really knew what to do with it. And so it was almost as though, by default, he becomes the favourite. Because Luxembourg had been this looming presence over the race for so long, and Aidan O'Brien had won every other derby trial. If this fella comes out and wins at Leopardstown, and Ryan and Aidan speak about him in the way that they do, well, then he must be the best of them. Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't 100% certain that a mile four would be ideal for him. Since then, I've spoken with Aidan O'Brien on the podcast, and that's there's nothing there that you haven't... There's nothing that was said to me privately. It's all there on the show, and you can listen to it. Um, but I also spoke with Joe Lyons for TalkSport, and that went out. Now, I can't remember if this was in it, but he said... I We were talking about Native Trail in the Guineas, and we were talking about Stone Age, and he said... They won't know which way he went regarding Stone Age. It's just a case of if he gets the right draw and he gets the, the rub of the green early on, he avoids the carnage, they won't see which way he went. And that's what that's what Jarrah had to say about it. Now, that he would know who's gone up against him. Uh, and obviously, Atomic Jones didn't quite fire in the 2000 Guineas, but he knew how good he was as a juvenile. The other point to make is that you look at his two-year-old form it's very, very important what you said there, Mark. He's got all that experience as a juvenile. He was highly tried. Where have we seen this before? Wings of Eagles. Anthony Van Dyke. Highly tried horses. The other Aidan O'Brien horses who won the Derby. Highly tried as juveniles. And then they're stronger and better as three-year-olds and they come out and win the Derby. And the more I think about it, the more I start to go, this 
this is so blindingly obvious. Why am I resisting? It's staring me right in the face. Stone Age is clearly Coolmore's number one. He's clearly a horse who's thriving. The juveniles were sick last year, and he was running... It was kind of a miserable summer last year. He ran on ground that didn't suit him on his last two starts. Oshin Murphy talked about this as well. Uh, he rode against him in Longchamp and saint Cloud. On both occasions, the ground was completely wrong for him. Yet he only gets beaten a length and a half over 10 furlongs at saint Cloud. There's no issue about this horse staying. And I think there's going to be a fair bit of support for him on the day. So the four to one is is standing out. I would rather bet James, uh, to James Savage from Sir Michael Stout's yard. All due respect, James. I have so much respect for you. And uh, James will hopefully be on the show talking about Desert Crown's success, if that's how it goes. But I think 15 to 8 about a horse who's had two runs and 4-1 to one about a horse who's got plenty of experience and has bolted up on both his starts this year, crucially in a derby trial as well. Stone Age stands out a mile. I think when you're comparing the two as well, I think there's one other aspect that we should focus on here. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Richard Kingscote is a fabulous jockey. I think he's a really good jockey. This could be... Um, the race that that catapults him to that next level. I'll allow it, Councillor. I see where you're going, but I'll allow it. (laughs) When you look in terms of jockeys and experience of riding in derbies in particular and around Epsom in particular, Ryan Moore, just he's been there, he's done it, he's got the T-shirt. Richard Kingscote won't have ridden in many derbies. I, I haven't been able to bring up the stats, unfortunately, because my timeform database has just given me the spinning wheel of death. But well, that's d- down to your computer. It would never be down to the <laughs> timeform database, which, by the way, is exceptional, and you can get now. Um, hey, timeform don't sponsor this show, so whatever. But no, timeform are our class. It's just that, um, I, yeah, for for, I, what, for, I, for whatever reason, my friend, your computer has just decided not to play ball with you. <laughs> yes, but it's I'll, just, I'll I'll bail you out though. Right, the last three derbies. Richard Kingscote was not part of. Hmm. And that's, that's interesting, isn't that, it? That, that, that is significant. And here's the thing. I'm delighted he has the right. I'm at, Because I'm with you. I He did ride in the race in 2018. And he was second last on Night to Behold for Harry Dunlop. I think one in France afterwards, didn't he? He turned out to be yeah. a useful enough. Yeah, he's standing at stud now. Um, it was... This is going to wreck my head if I don't. Yes, he did. He did win in France uh, for Oshin Murphy and Deauville after that. Um. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The the thing I would say about this, I'm delighted he's on board because he's clearly a very talented jockey. And if you don't give a jockey the opportunity, well, then how are they going to to win? You know, how, if you don't give them the chance, how are they going to do it? And in the last five renewals, we've had. Well, actually, let's let's take it back. We've had last ten renewals: Joseph O'Brien, now trainer; Ryan Moore, Joseph O'Brien, Frankie Dettori, Pat Smullen, God rest him, what an absolute legend. Uh, Porek Beggy, William Buick, Shami Heffernan, Emmett McNamara, Adam Kirby. This is a free-for-all. If you're on the right horse and everything goes well, anybody can be on board, anybody can win. But there is... Ryan Moore knows ex- every blade of grass at Epsom. He knows exactly where to position a horse. He knows exactly when to push the button. If things go go his way, look at his place record in the race. He's got, yep. he's got a ridiculous record. I mean, himself and Aiden just dominate the Oaks. And they've got a phenomenal record of, of getting into the the frame at least, or or being involved in the finish. So, I, I see where you're coming from there. I, I'll allow it, Councillor. Yeah, I think. But, but at the same <laughs> I time, I, I do a, I do want jockeys like Richard Kingsco to be given the opportunity and not be just jocked yeah, off in I favor mean, of Frankie. I, don't get me wrong. I I have got all the time in the world for for Richard Kingsco. He's always come out very well on the jockey metrics yeah. that we use at time form. And like you say, until these jockeys get an opportunity, then they, they can't make it into to the big time. But when we're talking and we, we go back to it again, don't we were talking about an inexperienced horse at a shortish price in a 17 runner field ridden by a jockey who doesn't have tremendous experience of riding in a derby. Mm. It's the price. It's the price. Absolutely. So we can, we can leave him alone. Okay, so we're both in agreement on Stone Age. Um, is there anything else that appeals to you as as a bet then? So that before you heard the market price with Kaluki, where I think he briefly touched nine to two, and they got hit. Um, so he's he's now into yeah he's steady at fours, which again he was five to two last this time last week. Uh, who were you thinking about this morning as as your idea of the winner? as your idea of this is the horse I'm going to back in the derby? Initially, and I'm, I'm certainly not backtracking at all here, I looked at Nation's Pride because, again, and people will have realised now from my few appearances on this podcast that I have a lot of time for the Buick and Appleby combination. And... Nation's pride interested me at the sort of price he was this morning. And I have no reason to to think that he he won't go well at all. He's won his last four races. He's a horse by Tiafilo who's bred for this sort of job. He comes from a a stable that's been on fire all season. I just thought at the price he was interesting but I think Stone Age at the price he's drifted to now is even more interesting mm. my take on this and I'm a little bit surprised that Changing of the Guard gets cheek pieces for the first time um, jockey booking doesn't surprise me at all uh, Wayne Lorden, Shami Heffernan Shami on board Star of India 
I would imagine this comes down to a, a very simple thing, which is that Wayne has won on changing of the guard um, and was probably on board with the mindset being if he, lock, if he lines up an Epsom and Ryan doesn't want to ride him, you will be the one on board. So they'll have, and they would have thought about that. I mean, Aiden talks about the Derby training program, for example. So as long as you come through your trial, okay, uh, and Ryan doesn't want to be on board, well then, who do we pick? And Shamey has already won on Star of India. So it just makes sense that this is what you do. Uh, the cheek pieces have taken me a little bit by surprise. It doesn't put me off. Uh, by any means, I have a feeling that Ruler of the World wear first-time headgear. He definitely wore cheek pieces. I don't know if it was first time. Did he Did he wear the first-time headgear at Chester? I think that might have been it. When when he made his... I'm just I'm bringing it... No, he actually made his debut with them. He made his debut with cheek pieces. That's intriguing. So, so headgear back in the day uh, was a no-no with Aidan O'Brien. Uh, but trainers evolve, and now it's very much positive. It wouldn't bother me in the slightest. Uh, it's just, it's intriguing that Ryan has obviously given Aiden the feedback, and Aiden has looked at the races and seen his work and gone, yeah, cheek pieces will wake him up. I thought he was really taking a Chester. I thought that was a terrific performance, and I thought it went a little bit under the radar in that perhaps people were looking at it and going, oh, well, New London hasn't fired. Maybe he did. Maybe he did fire. Um, and changing of the guard, again, Aidan O'Brien's juveniles, most of them were sick last year, so just draw a line through the reform and look at what they've done this year. He's come out at, at Dundalk, um, very similar to Stone Age in their three-year-old campaigns, in that they've come out and bolted up on their reappearance, and then they've absolutely destroyed the opposition in their respective derby trials. Uh, I think it's also interesting at Chester that New London at that point, was regarded as, if not Charlie Appleby's number one for the derby. He was certainly right up there, wasn't he? Yeah, he definitely and was. changing of the guard absolutely ripped him to shreds there. He, he destroyed him. He he made mince meat of them. And I, I think maybe one of the run was it Walk of Pride? Maybe one of the runners in the... Walk of Stars. Walk of Stars. Uh, the, the, I know they thought an awful lot of him, finishing behind the United Nations, but again, he was beaten. Now, he could turn out to be a much better horse in this race, but the way he finished at Lingfield just suggests to me that he's not quite there yet. Uh, not the finished article. Yeah. And I, Lingfield and Epsom are very similar tracks. Like, I have a jockey say to me, off air, I hate riding at Lingfield. I hate riding at Epsom. Um, Hayley Turner said on the Final Furlong podcast in a profile that I did with her that the track she hated riding at most was Goodwood. Yet she she's a winner there on the big occasion. But the reason was, there were so many times, you just need an awful lot of luck at Goodwood. You know, things have to fall your way. Um, and, and Epsom is a very, very difficult track. Uh, for example, there's a friend of mine who is now an owner said a decade ago, 10 years ago, he was at Epsom makes a phone call to me on Oaks Day and says, if I ever get a good horse and the trainer says, we're going to go for the Oaks, we're going to go for the Derby, I'm going to say, nope. And it's only until you walk Epsom, and anyone could do it because the public land is there, it's only until you walk the track 
that you start to understand how bonkers a race course it is. I mean, it's phenomenal. I love it. There's nothing like Derby Weekend. It's it's an amazing weekend. But the race course is nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. And you have to overcome so much. And it's not necessarily the best horse who wins. It's the horse who's ready on the day. Um, and look, there's there's a debate going on right now about the impact of, of the Derby and how the Derby is doing. Serpentine's been gelded. A Derby winner has been gelded. Chris Cook was saying to me on Twitter, you have to go back to 1810 for the last horse who was gelded after winning the Derby. This is this is insane. A uh, son of Galileo. Sold to Australia to win the Melbourne Cup. Gelded. Okay. Um, so I, the way I look at this is horses need to be ready. There's no question in my mind about changing of the guard. The one thing that does concern me, and I like your take on this, because we seem to just be coming down on Stone Age. Um, you were uh, talking about Nation's Pride. Uh, for me, the, the alternative to him is changing of the guard. My mindset was very much changing of the guard is going to be my selection in the race. And I'm sort of taken aback at how big a price Stone Age is, and it's making me rethink. And maybe I shouldn't overcomplicate my mind. Uh, the the gears won't, won't, won't turn. The hamster won't, won't run fast enough. Um, but... Cheek pieces for the first time. Stall 16. is. You were talking about a high draw earlier on. How much of a negative is stall 16 in a 17-run field? It's going to be tricky, um, is I think what I would say in a 17-runner field. Um, I think from 16, Wayne Lorden is going to have to be very decisive. I think he's going to have to say, we're going to get out, we're going to, Gun early, we're going to try and get a prominent position. Or failing that, he's just going to have to take back and tuck in. What you don't want to do from that sort of draw is be indecisive. Yeah. See so many jockeys from tricky draws, and you see it day in and day out. I mean, we watch racing every single day, and the more racing you watch, the more you see this. The good jockeys separate themselves by the out from the average jockeys by being decisive out of the stalls. And if a horse has got a tricky draw, I'm always looking at that jockey to do something decisive. Just don't do nothing. That would be what I would say. Don't do nothing. Don't just pop out and see what's happening to the inside of you before making a decision, because then you'll end up five wide. Be decisive. Do something. And I will never, ever criticise a jockey from a bad draw, as long as they've been decisive and tried to do something proactive from that bad draw, be it going forward early and trying to get a position or taking back early, saving the ground. Just don't do nothing would be my advice. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And there's nobody better than Wayne to go out and gun, by the way, to use the American terminology. I quite like that from you, Mark. Um, And Aidan O'Brien almost alluded to this as well. Uh, Like He was talking about how the he was being asked about the tactics uh, and this was after all the horses had won their derby trials. So this is this is thirty days ago, essentially. Uh, somebody asked him, "How do you think the, the horses will will be ridden?" Uh, um, <laughs> quite liked. <laughs> Tell us how this is going to play out in a, in a month's time, Aiden. Uh, but but he he was referencing the fact that you know they've they've been handy. Like Star of India pressed the lead, made. Uh, he led on his comeback at Newmarket behind Native Trail. He 
then pressed the leader the whole way at Chester. Um, Stone Age was has obviously led in both of his starts, and changing of the guard has done so. So changing of the guard is going to go. I would imagine he will go, and I yeah. suspect that Stone Age will just sit in behind whoever is making the time it. Form, sorry, the, t- the time form pace forecast has got changing of the guard being ridden certainly prominently, if not in front from stall 16. And I think that would be the perfect thing to do. Yeah. And I've just realized I'm sat here, all of my 15, 16 stone or whatever I am, and I've been giving uh, Wayne Lorden advice on how to ride the derby. <laughs> isn't Sorry, that Wayne. isn't that everybody in racing? Um, <laughs> any other horse that Final Frontline Podcast listeners should be list- watching out for? I think we, we touched on him earlier, um, but Walk of Stars, for me, we said he's not yet the finished article. I think that's absolutely true. He was beaten in the Lingfield Derby trial, wasn't he? When he looked, he still looked green there. Mm. But we only have to go back 12 months, don't we, to find another horse who was beaten and in the Lingfield are. Derby trial, trained by Charlie Appleby, who came on an absolute ton for that performance and crucially he's now got experience around a tricky track yeah yeah i i just did look a bit iffy didn't he that's the thing that that concerns me mark that's the thing that concerns me is have has enough happened with him in the time that has gone since that the appleby team can now be confident that he's going to be able to go and and actually handle a track like epsom I wouldn't worry about him at the Curra. I would worry about him at Epsom. Um, and, and I think it's it's the, the thing to say about that's why Lingfield is so important. It's it's possible that he will be like Adar and, and will come on, but I I don't know. I haven't seen enough. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm of the mindset when a horse has only had three or four runs and they hang like Walk of Stars hung at Lingfield. I'm still inclined to put that down to residual greenness rather than anything to do with the attitude. But like you say, he's got to have learned a lot in a short space of time, I think. Yeah, that's that's the one that's the one concern. Um could it be Adam Kirby again, by the way? Uh James Doyle said in that very emotional interview when he won the two thousand guineas and his first British classic, and then of course went on and won the the 1,000 guineas as well, that he had said to Charlie Appleby last year after the derby, will I ever get it right? And I I wonder if um, it's going to be a case of kicking himself again, because Nahani, um, for the Appleby team, with Adam Kirby on board, so it's the same combination as the winning connections last year. He's won the, the derby trial at Epsom, which is not necessarily the strongest standard of of trial but united nations came out of that and i i think united nations was ridden how do i put this politely uh to improve from that run yeah let's go with that oh, there you go yeah to, to come on but he has come on and, and won the linkfield derby trial um they didn't run him since there was no real need to he's had 46 days to to get ready and it's a great spot for adam kirby he's on install 6 and the way he'll be ridden, my, I'm just noticing on the pace map for Timeform, he's going to be up at the pace as well, uh, according to Timeform. He's rated 120p. So where does he rate for you? 
Yeah, he's done absolutely nothing wrong, has he? Like you say, he won the the Derby trial at Epsom, which traditionally hasn't been the strongest affair. But like you say, United Nations came out and went, oh, I'm reopening old wounds here. Mighty Ulysses, he was back in the rock, oh, no. wasn't he? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I still think Mighty Ulysses is going to prove himself Yep. As a group horse. Ah, he ran a blinder that day. I mean that, that that's another that's that's a good point to make. There's two horses who come out and, and really enhance the form of, of that run. Um because Mighty Ulysses is is the he's a group horse in waiting. He, he, yeah, he's he's a he's a group horse in waiting, isn't he? Yeah. I mean even even Zane Sardinia ran a pretty decent race at Newmarket only a couple of weeks ago. He's only beaten half a length. So there's there's enough there. Um, I, I got the impression with, with the United Nations, the way he was dropped out, that it was very much a case of they felt he was going to need the run. I'm kind of disappointed he's not in the race, to be honest. I would have loved to have seen him run here. Um, but, oh, well, uh, well, we'll have to wait for, for another date for him. I think, what, given everything we've touched on, it, it, it becomes even more obvious to me that Desert Crown is, is not great value. Yes. 15 to 8. Because... You know, we're looking at a 20-to-1 shot with Kaluki, who's a Derby trial winner, for the exact same connections as last year's winner. Adam Kirby, yeah. Charlie Appleby um, on board, and and you're getting 20s. You're getting well compensated. If Walk of Stars does handle the track, you're getting 14s for him to overcome what he did last time. Uh, Dominic O'Brien's decision not to go for the Darren Stanstead Derby trial. Frankie Dettori coming in for the ride, which is a controversial decision because Gavin Ryan thinks so highly of the horse and is Dunica's st- stable jockey. But if Frankie wins, no one's really going to care. Everyone's just going to be about Frankie this and Frankie that. And um, represents the New Yorkos family, one of the the big powerhouses of racing. And what a moment it would be for Dunica, a son of Ulysses, if this horse goes and wins. Um, Aidan O'Brien's got Stone Age, Changing of the Guard and Star of India all to go to war with. There's the Rafe Beckett Westover. It's it's not a it's not tremendous value about Desert Crown for all that there is the potential that he is better than his rivals and he's officially one one seven so that puts him in front of everything but realistically we just don't know how how much better Nation's Pride Stone Age uh, Changing of the Guard Pisbadil and uh, and the rest could be spot on okay it's not. For me, it's as it's one of those. I think it's one of those races. You've got to take a stand, basically. If Desert Crown comes and beats you, then you just sit back and go, "Yeah, okay, he was too good. I accept that." Yeah. But I think at fifteen to eight, I think you've got to take a stand in a race as competitive as this. So, are you taking the stand with Stone Age or with Nations Pride? Uh, Stone Age for me. Stone Age for me. And I didn't think I'd be saying that, but the four to one with Kaluki is too big. If by the time you're listening to this, he's headed to threes, I'd still take threes. If he's five to two, I, w- I would, I would duck, um, and I go changing of the guard, and I'd do the reverse forecast. Stone Age changing of the guard. There you go. Uh, who is your best bet of the weekend, my friend? At the prices, I particularly like Mrs. Fitzherbert in the 235. But for the nap, I'm going to land on in the 310 Epsom Mutasabek, who I think's got better form 
than the horse who's going to go off the short price favourite. Muta Sarbeck in the 310 on Saturday is the nap. Let's go! 7-2! to two. That's what I'm talking about. Um, which means... I'll have to come in with uh, high definition as the nap. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, dear. From he who shall not be named to I think this horse is a nap. Uh, in group one company over mile four. Uh, that's it. Uh, that is the derby. We are going to review it in the company of Oshin Murphy. I think we're recording on Monday. It might be a bank holiday, but we're still going to record Monday as far as I know. Uh, so Oshin will break down the race tactics, uh, how pedigrees came into play, and how the three group ones and some other races that we'll feature were won, who to take out of the races, and uh, how good a standard the renewal was after seeing the race. Um, really looking forward to his insight. Oshin Murphy reviewing Epsom, Coronation Cup, the Oaks, the Derby, and some of the other bonus races for you as well. Monday on the final front podcast that's going to be a lot of fun uh, and Mark is back with us next week to preview the weekend's betting as well thank you so so much for listening hope you're well um, I hope you enjoyed the show and hopefully there's plenty of winners in here as well stay safe be well the final furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by our official syndicate partner all about sunday the latest trainer to join our ranks is donald mccain to celebrate we'll be having a sunday and final furlong podcast owners morning on saturday april 16th at bankhouse stables to see raffles capital and the 150,000 euro purchase invincible power the most expensive horse sunday have ever To join us, download the app or visit allaboutsunday.com. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK, including additional ones at Cheltenham. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.